Hey, we're going to be in the uh, book of Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 is where we're going to spend the most of the morning today. Um, But we're going to take a little bit of time getting there. And uh, we've just had all kinds of different uh, directions for this summer. We kind of basically focused on the Holy Spirit and prayer. If I were to try and define it or pull it into, you know, two categories, it'd be prayer and the Holy Spirit. And uh, we've gone a lot of different directions, but how many of you have gotten something out of this summer? Like, how many of you have grown a little bit? Okay, seven of you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, that seven people have grown. Um, I won't quit my day job. All right, no, just kidding. Uh, We're going to talk this morning about um, the kinds of people miracles happen to, the kinds of people that miracles happen to. And um, obviously, this isn't going to be an exhaustive list. It's just three kinds of people that we're going to talk about. Um, But I do know this, like last week when Ivan gave his testimony, I had made the comment like, hey, because he had had this amazing testimony. They've been praying for provision in their lives and for God to answer them in the area of finances. And he just got a random, literally a random large check in the mail just for, you know, just because, like a friend from their past. It was a beautiful testimony. If you didn't hear it, you can go back that last Sunday and listen to the sermon there. It was before the message. But he gave this uh, awesome testimony. It's like, I got up and I said something like, hey, I've always wanted to be that guy that got the random check in the mail that I wasn't expecting, but I'm at least glad to know the guy, right, that got the random check in the mail that I wasn't expecting. Because you've all heard a testimony like that, like we were desperate, and then boom, just money came out of nowhere. Uh, well, now we have that guy. That guy's in our church, and that happened to him. He, he got random money in the mail, and that's a, that's a beautiful testimony. But how do we posture ourselves to be the kind of people that can experience regular miracles? And uh, is that something that we should believe for? And the truth is, like, I mean, we kind of owe it to the world to live a miraculous life, right? Like, to have some evidence to the hope that's on the inside of us, to have some evidence of transformation, some evidence of God's power, some stories that we can readily tell of what God's been doing in our lives. And I find that our relationship with Jesus gets more and more exciting when we live in community and when we're praying with and for one another and we're seeing God do things, right? We're hearing testimonies of God's goodness and God's faithfulness to people. Uh, That makes Christianity a very exciting uh, pursuit because we see God working in our lives. And, uh, And would anybody, does anybody, should anybody believe what God's done in us if they don't see any evidence of it? Like if you're not really that different than anybody else they know. Um, or if you haven't really experienced transformation like you claim to have experienced with Jesus. But when they see evidence of God's faithfulness, man, there's a reason and a, and a moment to believe. There's like, man, God is doing something in their life. And maybe that's been your story. Maybe you've had a coworker or a friend or a family member say, there's something different about you. God is clearly up to something in your life. And man, that's so powerful. I want to know more about who your God is, the God that you serve. So really, we should be walking around, man, walking testimonies of the faithfulness of God, walking evidences. Like, I would not be who I am without the relationship that I have with the Lord, without his work in my life. Jude chapter 1, verse 3, it's just a really small book in the New Testament. And uh, Jude writes this letter, it's between 30 and 50 years after the birth of the church. So we're talking like at the very beginning. I mean, Jesus is... Just, just left the scene, right? I mean, he's still there because he's empowered us with the Holy Spirit, but he's just gone up to heaven. 30 years is not a long time. And this is what he writes to the believers. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you 
to contend earnestly for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men, they've crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. Like, it's already at the very beginning of the church, and there's already people kind trying to distort, dilute, devalue the work of God in people's lives. There's already a strategy of hell to kind of distract and to disqualify what God is actually up to. And he says this, I want you to earnestly contend for the faith, the faith that was presented to the apostles, the the, the faith that they understood, that they grabbed a hold of, the faith that transformed those first disciples. Contend for that faith because there's people in your midst, even now at the beginning of the church, and how many know there's a lot more today, uh, who are going to come in with these false ideas, these false perspectives, and, and they're going to have wrong motivation, and they're going to lead you down paths that just aren't right, and they're going to devalue the work and the person of Jesus Christ, and they're going to devalue and undercut the power of Jesus that's available in your life, the power of the miraculous, where we see in the early church, we see in the disciples, man, that's, they clung on to that. They received power, Acts 1-8. They received power when the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they became witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and they saw the miracle power of God in their life, And Jude, just 30 years later, is warning, hey, listen, contend earnestly, which means like, fight for it. Don't let it go, because there's going to be people who come around who don't, maybe they mean well, maybe they don't, but they're going to be talking to you about, oh, that's not for today, or hey, that's not really the way it was said, or you can't depend on that. That was only for those first disciples. That's not for you. And he's saying, contend contend for this real authentic relationship with Jesus that he has for you. And it's a relationship that's involved with power to transform, power to free, power to deliver, to heal, uh, to, to open blind eyes. Like that's the kind of power that we have access to. And Judas saying, earnestly contend. So one of the things that we do when we gather on a Sunday morning is we're kind of contending for more of what God has for us. And like I said, it's a fight. Like, we want so much, so badly in our relationship with the Lord to just be handed it, you know, because we think, like, after all, if he's God and he had it for me, wouldn't he just give it to me? And the reality is, like, no, there's a, there's a fight to really believe and to pursue and to receive all that God desires for you and I. So when we come to these moments, when we come to Sunday mornings, that's what we're doing together. We're earnestly contending for more of God in our world. We recognize that, hey man, life is blessed. He's given us a lot. There's been a ton of breakthrough. God's doing amazing things in our church, but there's more. There's more that he has for us. And so I'm going to be a person who earnestly contends. I'm going to be a person who leads us to places that maybe feel uncomfortable for our growth and for our benefit. Not, hey, listen, not to embarrass anybody. How many of Jesus is not in the business of embarrassing people? That's not what the Holy Spirit's after. It's like, man, I'm going to get them into a circle of prayer, and then I'm going to make their words come out, and they're going to reveal their deepest, darkest sin, and everybody's going to point and laugh at them. Uh, That's not the Holy Spirit, right? He's not interested in embarrassing people. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you a story. We were at a youth camp once. This is just a funny story. We were at a youth camp once, and this is like junior hires, seventh, eighth graders, okay? And the pastor that was leading, man, he did not know what he was doing. I got to tell you, like there's, at least at this moment, there might've been a time in the past where he did, 
but uh, he had everybody, I want everybody to close your eyes and bow your heads. And he said, I want every, everybody who's struggling with lust, with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're struggling with lust, you're seventh and eighth graders, okay? I just want to remind you of that. If that. So seventh and eighth grade boys, I mean, that's like every hand in the room. Uh, so I want everybody who's struggling with lust to, to raise your hand. And so, you know, a bunch of hands go up in the room. Everybody, eyes closed, everybody. And then he says, now stand up. Everybody, eye closed. Nobody's looking around. And now everybody, open your eyes and point at them. It gets worse. And I want you to sing to them. You are the evidence that God is alive. And we pointed at all these junior high boys struggling with lust. And the, I mean, there's just like red faces like, oh my gosh. It was, it was an embarrassing moment. That was not the Holy Spirit. That's not what the Holy Spirit is interested in doing. He's not interested in embarrassing you, but he is interested in drawing out his best in you. And that's going to take some refinement. That's going to take some tolerance to be uncomfortable, to get into a circle of prayer and, and share your requests. And the Bible says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. To maybe get up earlier than you plan on getting up, than you want to get up and Maybe uh, contend longer than you thought you needed to contend to pray prayers of faith that maybe even like make you feel uncomfortable and maybe cause you to ask questions like, well, what if it doesn't happen? But what if it does, right? Like God wants to put us in places where we're growing before him. The world has every right to doubt our claim to Jesus if we give them no evidence of his miraculous work in our lives. They have every right to doubt our claim if there's no evidence in our life of his miraculous work. The presence of miracles does not prove the presence of Jesus. However, the absence of miracles would tend to prove the absence of Jesus in our life. Like if we're, not, if we're moving through the Christian life and we're not seeing God do anything for decades and years, I mean, I mean, no, that's not how we're supposed to live. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. We need to be able to point to points where, no, Jesus is showing up. He's showing up in my life. And it should, if you've gone decades, if you've gone years, months without seeing God do something in your life, it should get you a little upset because he paid on the cross for your sins, but he also paid for your freedom. He paid for your blessing. He paid for his power to be evident working in and through you at a regular clip that you could point to things that he's doing. So I want you to be uh, righteously upset if you have not seen God doing stuff in your life and get serious with God. Like, get on your face, get on your knees and cry out to him and say, God, do something in my life, Lord. I want to expect more. I want freedom where I haven't seen freedom and blessing where I haven't seen blessing, Lord God. And I want you to sh show up and reveal yourself to me in ways that I haven't experienced you before. God, I just want your love. I want to know your love for me in a powerful and a profound way. If the Lord Jesus is present in your life, listen, miracles are going to follow. Miracles are going to be a regular part of your experience in him. Transformative stories, places where you can see him showing up, relationships that are healed, forgiveness that is extended. It's like, man, I never thought I'd forgive this person. Yet when I met Jesus, I'm now forgiving people I never thought I'd forgive. I'm having conversations with people I thought I'd never talk to. The Lord is restoring things in my life, and we need to believe for that and contend for that. So Acts chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning, and um, we're going to share this story. You probably, most of you in the room have probably heard this, uh, but it's John and Peter when they uh, 
say, silver and gold have I none to a beggar, and he raises up and he can walk again. He's a crippled man from birth, laid at the gates of the temple every single day of his life. And John and Peter walk by on their way to prayer, and they extend their hand and they say, hey, we don't have money, but you know what? What we do have is the power of the living God inside of us in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that crippled man who'd been laid there from birth, he gets up and he begins rejoicing, jumping, shouting, praising God because he experiences this dramatic healing. So let's read this. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Going from having never walked to walking, leaping, and praising God. He, he wanted to use those feet who had just been healed, right? Like his legs worked for the first time in his life. He's like, I'm going to go ahead and put him to work. Uh, and recognized him as the one, all, and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him at the, as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them, to the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To, to this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has been given the, the man this perfect has given this man the perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And then verse 20 through 26 kind of continues this sermon that Peter gives. And then if we pick it up in, ver in chapter four, the next chapter in verse one, and as they were speaking to the people, it's the same story. The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming to Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And this is verse four of chapter four. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of them, of men, came to be about 5,000. Now, this is an incredible revival that happens on the tail, on the, on the backside of this man being healed who was laid at the gate of the temple every single day. And this revival ensues. 5,000 people coming to know Jesus. I mean, that's a healthy revival. I don't care which way you dice it or splice it, right? Like, when you have 5,000 people 
that come to know the Lord, you know there was people that didn't come to know the Lord, right? <laughs> there were probably a few thousand others who were like, yeah, not for me today, you know, and maybe walked away. But five, So there was a big crowd that gathered. Why would that big of a crowd gather? Well, this man was laid at this gate every single day. I mean, they exaggerate the point by saying, from birth. Like he was laid there all the time. He was laid there every single day and to, to beg for alms, to beg for change because he could not use his own legs. He couldn't walk on his own. And when he's healed, it sparks a revival because people recognize, oh my goodness, this Jesus, there's something with him. There's something up and he's gone, but he's left his followers and, and they're empowered and they're strengthened. So how do I position myself to be the kind of person that sees God do miracles in me? and see God does do miracles through me. And the first thing I want to say is this, is that miracles happen to and through steadfast believers. Miracles happen through believers who are steadfast, who've developed patterns and priorities of faithfulness. Look at verse one. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So I could just imagine Peter saying to John, like, hey, it's time for prayer. He's like, oh my goodness, we got to get there. So they're on their way to the temple, and this blind, this not blind, this crippled beggar is begging there. How many of you know, leading 5,000 people to prayer, preaching this sermon prayer, but it was in the process of engaging in a pattern that they had already established, a pattern of faithfulness to God, a pattern of faithfulness to his word, that my goodness, God uses them right inside their daily pattern because they've set up their lives to be used by God. They're on their way to pray. I have to imagine they were probably, they probably prayed by themselves before they even got to the temple. That was their temple prayer. And it reminds me of the passage of scripture where Jesus talks about good Samaritan. And one of the people that passed by the beaten up guy on the side of the road, right? He's bloody, he's beaten, he's on the side of the road and person after person passes his, him up. Well, one of those people was a rabbi on his way to a priest on his way to minister at the temple. And this priest that was on his way to minister at the temple, you know, he was probably coming from a different village and he was on his way and he sees this bloody beaten up guy, the good, you know, and instead of being the good Samaritan, he like kind of passes by on the other side. He's like, oh, I can't touch it. But he's the priest and he's likely on his way to serve his once a year weekly commitment. He gets to serve. This is a huge honor. This is a huge blessing. Like, He's maybe in a smaller village. He's on his way to the big temple and he gets to serve God for a week. But if he touches, a, if he touches blood, a wounded person, like he can't go back and he's gonna miss his opportunity and he's not gonna be able to serve again for another year. And so what does he do? He sees the beaten up guy on the side of the road and instead of helping him like the good Samaritan ultimately does, what does he do? He walks by on the other side. He's like, ah, Peter and John, they're on their way to pray. They're on their way to pray in the temple. They have a commitment before God we got to get to church. But instead of ignoring this crippled man, what do they do? They stop what they're doing. They allow their schedule to get interrupted. They have this pattern before God that they're committed to. They're committed to his word and they're committed to prayer. They're committed to worship, all of these things. But they allow that pattern to get interrupted when God presents an opportunity for a miracle to come through them for this man. And I have to imagine my own life like I... I have things that I do, but I'll tell you what, one of the things that I'm careful to do is create enough margin in my life that I can be sensitive when God wants to do something. That when somebody walks through the door, and this happens quite a bit, 
when somebody walks through the door and needs prayer that I can put aside or even be late to an appointment to fulfill the assignment that God's put on my life. And I've had to apologize to people. Hey, I'm so sorry. And you know, they have to believe me or not. They just say, James is always late. Or they have to believe that, no, I was really about the things of God. And uh, the, uh, a wizard can never be late. Uh, you know, <laughs> the man of God can never be late. Uh, that doesn't usually work. I, I tried that a few times, but most people just say, no, you're just not punctual. Um, but literally, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to interrupt the priorities of our life? Do we have enough margin in our life to even be used by God. See, I have to imagine that Peter and John, when they're going up to the temple, they were expecting to go up to the temple at the ninth hour to pray, as was their pattern. But this interruption happened that leads to a revival moment for 5,000 men giving their hearts to Jesus and being completely transformed by him. I want to have enough margin and enough sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in my life that I allow for those moments. Now, how many of you can remember a time in your life where you knew the Holy Spirit was nudging you to do something or say something? Maybe you were in the shoe aisle, right? But you were in a hurry and you wanted to make sure you got your shoes. You know, I don't know. I'm trying to relate to women. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you were in the gun aisle at Bass Pro. I don't know. Uh, maybe you were at Save Mart, maybe, and the checker was, you know, you could see something. And the Holy Spirit nudges you, hey, encouraging word, or hey, see how they're doing, or hey, you know, offer some help, or all those different things. How many of you had that moment where you, you didn't have the time, or you weren't expecting it, kind of, oh, it just jumped up on me. I wasn't expecting that. So, you know, you go back later, and an hour later, you're like, I really should have done that. But because I wasn't expecting it, I kind of forgive myself. And, you know, Jesus forgives you too, but because I wasn't expecting it, I moved throughout my day, and now I regret that I didn't seize the moment when it was presented. Can anybody relate to that kind of a, a mindset that happened, that kind of a time frame? Okay, this is Peter and John's life. They walked out of the house that morning expecting the Holy Spirit to interrupt them for a moment at some point during the day. So instead of, listen, instead of us walking away and missing opportunities and say, I wasn't expecting it, what if we left the house looking for those moments where God's going to use us? looking for the unexpected, looking for the moment where the Holy Spirit nudges on our heart and we put our plans aside and minister to the life, the soul right in front of us. Man, I think that's the way Peter and John lived. I think they walked out. I think they created a pattern in their life that made room and allowed space and created expectation for God to use them to minister to people. P Peter was prepared for the miracle moment. Here's the thing. The other thing I see in Peter is he's got God's word hidden in his heart. So not only is he a man of prayer headed to prayer, but he's got the word of God in his heart. And there's something about having the word of God in your heart that, I don't know, I think you, I think you end up seizing the moments of the Holy, that the Holy Spirit brings in your path a little bit more rapidly. There's a little bit more boldness, a little bit more expectation, a little bit more fire in your belly to be used by God to make an impact in somebody's life. How do I know that? Well, Look at Peter's response in verse 6, and it's almost poetic. Like, I know we can't understand the timing, like the gap between the man begging and then when Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have to you, I, I, I say, get up, and, get up and walk in the name of Jesus, you know? It's almost poetic how quickly it comes to him, right? Like, I don't have any, like when, I, some, when beggars, you know, if somebody asks me, like, hey, you know, do you have anything for me? He's like, 
no, I don't. And then like seven minutes down the road, I'm like, actually, like I should really pray for them or say, God bless you. Peter was expecting this moment to happen. The word of God is hidden so deep in his heart that his immediate response was, hey, I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold, but I have a way for God to meet you right where you're at. And that kind of response is nothing short of the Holy Spirit helping remind you of words, bringing words to your remembrance that just come out. Anybody ever been so invested maybe in a career, in a job, or maybe you've you've had so much understanding that you see it everywhere? Um, I'll I'll give you a, 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 Gavin, our worship leader this morning, right? Gavin, Paige's husband, he, uh, he's doing uh, fire training, you know, he's doing, he's becoming a fire inspector, and so it's interesting because, like, we were in a building the other day, and like, oh, well, that's not to code, and that's not to code, and that's not to code, and that's not to, and I, I don't know where you get this, and it's like, he sees it everywhere because he's so in, I mean, he's in the books, he's in it all the time, and so he sees stuff everywhere, um, that happens sometimes people, you know, now everybody's looking around. Yeah, well, okay, there's some stuff, all right? There's some stuff. <laughs> Just keep focused up here, all right? Don't look for codes. Don't look for code violation. We're fine. Roseville loves it. All right. But here's the thing. Peter had this stuff inside of him. And so when he's walking, expecting God to use him that morning, he sees this blind, oh, I don't have silver and gold. I have something so much better. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. If you and I could get to the place and our patterns before the Lord we, we're, we are leaving the house expecting God to use us. I think we'd see the miraculous flow through our lives a lot more. I think we'd see the miraculous flow through our lives a lot more. And this brings up another point. I think sometimes in our spirit-filled Pentecostal world where we're, we're wanting to see God's movement happen in our church, oftentimes we can get into the place where we come to church to do all the stuff. You know, well, prophetic words or healings, miracles, prayer, all of that happens at church. But what you see in the New Testament, what you see with the disciples is these were tools for evangelism. These were things that the Holy Spirit gave them. The gifts of the Spirit were not just for believers. The gifts of the Spirit were inside of them to make an impact in non-believers. So much so that in this story, it's now the second revival of the church. 5,000 in the first few chapters of the book of Acts the birth of the church, 3,000 are added on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 men raise their hand and say, hey, yeah, I want to believe in Jesus. And then the next chapter, 5,000 men are added to the church. We're now up to 8,000, and this thing got started yesterday. Like, this thing just got started. And Peter's so far the guy given the majority of the sermons. And everywhere he goes, revival is breaking out. Do you think that's accident? Do you think it's just like, well, I just kind of fell into it? no. He's walking out of the house every day expecting God to speak a word through his life. He's expecting God to make an impact through him to people that are going to be completely transformed. If we, a lot of us have the pattern of daily devotions in the morning specifically. And one of the reasons we encourage morning time devotions is because then fresh and at the forefront of your mind when you walk out of the house, because you got the whole day ahead of you, right? Fresh on your mind is, God's wanting to use me. God's good. I got a word in my heart. God spoke to me this morning. Man, I prayed for miracles this morning. And I have found that the more I do that in the morning before I leave the house, the more opportunity I'm aware of throughout my day. The more, the more moments I don't miss, but I capitalize on him. So Peter, he's doing this. His response 
is almost effortless in the story. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have, rise up and walk. It feels effortless. And it's the flow of the Spirit simply bubbling out of him. I, I don't want you to walk away from this message feeling discouraged about your lack of evangelism or boldness. What I want you to do is walk away inspired to get so close to Jesus that evangelism and boldness is just your lifestyle. I was just going to prayer and I led a revival. I was going to prayer and 5,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus. I was headed to church and I had to stop at Walmart first. And I, you know, like six, 600 people gave their hearts to Jesus in Target. It was amazing. Now, I mean, you know, we laugh, but it's like, why not? It was happening for him. I mean, I really believe this. Miracles happen to and through steadfast believers. Believers who aren't willing to just say, well, you know, maybe God would use me one day, but walk out of the house. Oh, no, God's got a word. God's got a word for somebody today. Yeah, I'm going to encourage some people. I'm going to get into the workplace. I'm going to pray for some people. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in my car. I'm gonna, before I leave the house, my kids are all going to be encouraged. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna know that Daddy loves them and that God loves them before I leave the house. Like, God's going to use me to make an impact in the world around me, and they walk with that level of expectation. There's no way that's not happening in Peter and John in this moment because of how quick the response is and ultimately what it leads to. It reminds me of what Jesus says about his own ministry. Because what we believe about Jesus, we believe that Jesus, though he was God, he laid aside his divinity. And so what he did on the earth was he was operating as a spirit-filled man. He laid aside his divinity, according to Philippians 2. And he, he put that aside, his divine attributes, his ability to be everywhere at once, his ability to be all-powerful. And it's why he didn't do any miracles until his baptism in the Holy Spirit when he's baptized in the Jordan River and the dove of the Holy Spirit sent, descends upon him and the voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's not until that moment that his ministry begins and the miracles start, right? And so as he's walking around doing miracles, he can say this to his disciples and he can say this to us with honesty and integrity in his heart, greater works than these you will also do. Because the works that he did, he's doing as a spirit-filled man, not because he's just simply God. Because if he was doing them because he was God, how many of you know we'd just sit back and say, like, I'm not God. <laughs> Pressure's off, <laughs> right? But the works that he was doing while on this earth were done as a spirit-filled man. And so he's walking around. He says, greater works than these you will also do. He's not talking about an a ethereal, like, uh, what is, you know, an analogy or a metaphor. He's talking about, man, I... I want you to do real miracles in people's lives. I want you to walk around just like we see John and Peter doing, praying and believing that God's going to use you to bring about the miraculous and the transformative power of the Holy Spirit in your day, in your generation. I want you to do that. I'm saying greater works than I, Jesus says this, you will also do. And he can say that with confidence and integrity. And here's one of the strategies that caused Jesus to have a 100% success rate. I know. I w Listen, I'm shooting for like 30% success rate. Like if I got to 30% of my prayers like being answered, I'd be like, I'm slaying it. Because I pray big prayers sometimes. And I'd just be like, wow, this is awesome. John 5, 19 through 20, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son of man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Listen, I only, Jesus is saying this, 
I only do what I see the Father wanting to do. John and Peter walked by this crippled guy at the gate beautiful who was laid there how often? Every single day. How many times did Jesus walk by that guy and not heal him? A lot. Jesus went to the temple a lot and he never healed that guy because God the Father was not doing healing for that guy through Jesus at that time. He did it through John and Peter in Acts another time. Because the, and they were responding to what they saw the Father doing that day to that guy at the ninth hour. And so they're just responding to what they see God doing. How do they see God doing anything? Because they have like a, you know, a mirror vision or they have like some tele, telekinesis with the Lord. No, because they're close to the Holy Spirit who's guiding and directing their life. Jesus heals that guy at the pool, right? There's this pool of Siloam where everybody who's sick and infirmed and everybody who's blind, they sit at this pool and the legend has it that when the angel comes, the water will ripple and the first one to jump in the pool, kind of like a cool contest. My kids would like that pool. Um, the first one to jump in the pool after the rain, the angel stirs the water gets healed. So there's all these sick people all around the pool. Jesus doesn't heal any of them. He heals one guy at that pool, just one. Because why? Why didn't he heal all of them? Why not lead a revival? And why not start a tunnel? Like we're just, everybody's sick and I just touch, 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 touch. He should have healed everybody in Jerusalem. Should have, he's God. I, I just said God should have done something. God, you don't have to do anything that I want. Um, listen, he didn't, he healed that one guy. Why? Because he saw what the father was doing and he responded and that's why there was power. That's why there was a release of power because of proximity in his own relationship with the Lord. The same is true for you and I. If we want to see miracles in our lives, in us and through us, we got to get real close with the priority in the heart of God. Man, your prayer time, if it's, you know, go ahead and share your request to the Lord. He wants to hear you, but ask God for his heart. Oh God, give me, a, give me your heart for that coworker. Lord God, give me your heart for that sick person. Give me your heart for that family member who's far from you. God, give me your heart for my generation. Lord, I see this political mess. Just give me your heart, God. Give me your heart for our world. Lord, I want to know what do you think? How do you love God? What are your thoughts towards them? I want those thoughts to be my thoughts, God. I want to love like you love. I want to serve like you serve, God. I want to surrender my life like Jesus surrendered his life. Matthew 17, 21, Jesus says, they were, they were trying to get this boy who'd been demon-possessed, they were trying to cast the demon out of him, and the disciples couldn't do it. So they finally bring the demon-possessed boy to Jesus, and they say, hey, we can't get this done, and Jesus prays for the demon-possessed boy, and he's delivered instantly. Instant healing, right, in Matthew 17. And the disciples ask him later, like, how come it didn't work for us? Like, why, didn't, why weren't we able to do it? And Jesus says, well, there's these kind only come out through prayer and fasting, is Jesus' response which would lead every one of us to the, draw the conclusion, Jesus must have been fasting. Like Jesus walked around, connected to the Father, fasting and praying for the off chance, not the off chance, but the expected chance that God was going to use him in his world. And so when a, when a demon-possessed boy who needed deliverance came to him, he was already ready because he had already been fasting. Wait a second, Pastor. Are you saying fasting doesn't just happen January 1st through January 21st of the beginning of the year to get a word from God for myself? You mean there's a lifestyle pattern of prayer and fasting that God's called each of us into so that we might be prepared 
for what he has for us in the lives of other people, wow. You mean there's a, there's a pattern of time in God's word, not just for our own growth, but so that we might be prepared with God's word in our heart so that when we're in, encountered with a situation where God's word is needed, we have it? There might be a time where prayer is such a part of our life that we're empowered and strengthened so we don't miss our opportunities, but we seize them and watch God do miracles through us. Man, miracles happen through believers who are steadfast in their patterns of pursuing God. It, was, it happened on their way to the temple. The second kind of person that miracles happen for are hope-filled cripples. I know. You might be saying to yourself, well, I'm not a cripple. Listen. You're crippled in some area of your life. Like there's an area in your life that's broken for all of us until we meet Jesus and he sets all things right. There's areas in our life that are broken. Sometimes they're broken during childhood. Sometimes there's psychological issues that are broken in us. There's relational issues. There's hurt, just pain from past disappointments. There's unforgiveness. There's all kinds of broken. There might be habits that we can't get over. There might be addictions that we're trying to get free from thought patterns, bad attitudes, different things like that. There's broken areas of, in each of us. God shows up for hope-filled cripples. And what does that mean? That means people who recognize that I have an area of brokenness, but I'm still filled with hope that he's going to meet me, that he's going to heal me. Even if, even if I don't see it in my lifetime, I'm going to believe, and I'm going to come on Sunday morning filled with hope that, God, you're going to free me from this. God, you're going to deliver me. You're going to set my mind right. You're going to heal me. You're going to heal me from those areas in my life that keep me down and keep me far from you. Look at this crippled man. It says he was laid at the gate daily and he had to ask his friends to carry him. Can you say vulnerability? I wonder how many cripples at this time just stayed at home rather than suffer through the embarrassment of having to be carried every day by the people who love you. And you're sitting there thinking, I'm such a burden. How many people would just wallow into their own state of depression and not even have the hope to go to the gate? And listen, he expected, now he was only expecting money. I get it. He was probably not expecting to walk, especially after being sat there so many days for so long. He certainly wasn't expecting a miracle, but he was expecting something. He was expecting a few coins every day. He was still doing whatever he could do to retain and maintain some level of hope in his life. He wasn't just wallowing in self-despair and self-pity and saying, yeah, it's over for me. I'm just going to kind of disappear into the background. Miracles happen for people who will keep showing up with hope in their broken areas. There might be something that you're praying for that God delivers you for. There might be a miracle you're contending for. Keep showing up. Keep showing up in hope that God's going to have a breakthrough for you, that you're going to get an answer to your prayer, that you're going to experience a miracle. This man, uh, this, this was a man who was not ashamed to acknowledge his weaknesses. He wasn't ashamed to acknowledge his need. And I have to ask myself, I wonder if sometimes we're held back from miracles because we won't be vulnerable. <laughs> that there are miracles of transformation waiting for each and every one of us, but the the thought of actually asking for prayer, the thought of actually being vulnerable enough with somebody else to tell them like, hey, I'm going through something that I, I, I'm not in control of, or I, I'm, I'm experiencing some kind of pain that I, I'm so embarrassed by, but I'm asking for healing. And if we will let go and be vulnerable, I, I, I believe for many of us, there's a miracle right on the other side of that. 
being vulnerable enough to say, I am crippled, but I have a ton of hope that God's going to show up for me. My number one on the Myers-Briggs Strengths Finders, if you've ever done that, uh, is responsibility. That's my number one. You get five. Uh, I have probably, I'm, you know, a little bit more than most people. I have like 10. But um, just kidding. And my number one is responsibility. So here's how this shows up for me in a negative way. I say things all the time. Like, I can take care of that. Like, I don't need help with that. I don't need prayer for that. Like, I'm responsible. I can handle it. You know what I mean? I don't want to involve other people in my problems. This is true for anybody else in the room? Like, I don't want to involve other people in my problems. I don't want everybody to know. And we miss out on miracles. We miss out on miracles because there's power in prayer. There's power in unity. There's power in vulnerability. This beggar said, I'll go to the gate and beg because at least I have hope. At least there's some expectation that I'll get something for my day. I'm not worth nothing. I'm worth something. And God may still have a plan for my life. This man who was looking with expectancy, he wasn't expecting a miracle, probably just money. But you know, we have a tendency to lean towards lack of expectation when it comes to God. I don't know why this is because we serve a miracle working God. And we believe all these things about him rising from the dead. We believe about like the parting of the Red Sea. We believe like the manna from heaven. We believe all this amazing, incredible stuff that God does for his people. But somehow when it comes to me, I don't know. And I wonder if this, I don't know if he'd do that for me. And here's, here's what it is. It's because you know you. You know you. And you wouldn't do it for you. Right? That's why you wouldn't do it for you. Because you know your problems and you know you're a hot mess and you know your inconsistencies and you know your sin patterns and you know you haven't been faithful to do your part. You know, you know, you know. You know who else knows? God knows you. And he still wants to show up for you. He still wants to be there for you. He still wants to provide for you and bring breakthrough and miracles to your life. We have a low expectancy when it comes to God. Man, we will go do a thousand different things to get the answer before we'll show up in faith at a prayer meeting, pour out our heart, say, I'm a mess. I'm going through something that I can't control. Would you pray for me? Help me, God. I need you, Lord. We'll pour out our heart before the Lord. And I'm telling you, he'll show up. He's looking for people vulnerable enough who will expect him to move. Let's stop tolerating bondage in our life. Man, how much do we tolerate that God, that Jesus paid for us to be delivered from? And we just tolerate it because, well, that's just who I am. We learn to cope rather than getting free. We learn to manage our sin rather than getting free from our sin. This was a man who accepted the hand reaching out to, in Jesus' name. Now, this is interesting because Peter reaches out his hand, and the man reaches up and grabs his hand and leaps up and is instantly healed. But I have to wonder to myself, like, I would think in my world the conversation's over. Silver and gold have I none. That's when the conversation's over. The cripple's mind, okay, good, we're good, yeah. You don't have, that's what I'm asking for. You don't have any, so we're good. But no, Peter said, but I do have something better. And he extends his hand and this man has to reach up. And as he reaches up, there is a leaping and a joy and an expressiveness that comes. And listen, some of you might have said your whole life, like, I'm just a shy person or I'm just reserved or I'm just, I'm just introverted. I keep to myself. That's why I'm not vulnerable or that's why I don't express worship to God, or that's why I don't get exuberant. I just want to say, there could be broken parts of your personality that you've said are okay, where God says, actually, on the other side of you saying, 
I'll be willing to open up my personality to a new possibility. There could be absolute breakthrough for you. But, but we get ingrained. See, what happens is we learn through life, right? We learn from childhood. We learn like how we fit in the world and what people say about us and how uh, the best way to move forward and the best way to kind of maneuver relationships, not realizing that on the other side of our broken personality is a whole world of breakthrough if we'll say yes to it. And if we'll be willing to reach up even when it feels uncomfortable. We'll be willing to praise even when it feels uncomfortable. Man, I love it. What happens, it doesn't, I mean, I don't hear it as much as I hear it on Sunday mornings, uh, but when we have those men's encounter nights where it's just the dudes in here, like the dudes sing, right? Like loudly. And some of them aren't great singers, but when everybody sings together, you don't hear anybody individually, so it doesn't matter, right? And uh, I said some of them because I really am a good singer, but they won't let me on the worship team for reasons only known to my wife, all right, that I don't get to be on the worship team. Uh, but, man, when the men sing, it's like when you guys sing, if, you're, if singing is not a regular part of your, hey, you just own that over your person, I don't sing. Yeah, that's for everybody else. I don't raise my hands, that's for everybody else. Maybe there's something on the other side of your willingness to say, you know what? anything. I will make room for you, God. I'll make to do whatever you want to do in my life. I'll pray with people when it feels uncomfortable. I'll sing when it feels uncomfortable. I'll, I'll lift my hands when it feels uncomfortable because I'm not going to allow broken parts of my personality to rob me from the breakthrough that God has for me. I just can't imagine Peter and John. Did Peter and John do this for this guy because they were uh, sanguines? So they, were, they had a sanguine personality. They were outgoing. They were outgoing and uh, all that stuff. And so because of their personality, they were willing to just say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Was that a personality thing? Or was that the power of the living God thing on the inside of them? And I'm telling you what, I don't think we know much about Peter's personality, right? We don't know if he was an introvert or an extrovert. I mean, we know a little bit of things from some of the stories. But the reality is we don't, we don't let our personalities become the barrier to God's incredible work in and through us. And if we do, we'll keep ourselves from the miracle power that he wants to operate in our lives. And the third type of person through whom miracles show up in this story is that miracles happen through amazed sinners. The crowd gathers, they listen, they acknowledge God's power, and they believe. Verse 4 of chapter 4, But many of those who had heard the word and believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. I believe this with all of my heart. One of the reasons that we do not see friends and family come to know Jesus at the rate at which we so desire them to come to know Jesus is because we're not getting close enough to God that we're hearing what God wants so that we're praying and believing for miracles that happen. They transform our lives. They're amazing things. And then the world around us is looking in like, what? Your God does that? Your God heals like that? Your God delivers like that? And so these amazed men who are watching this are like, oh yeah, we, we know that guy. We've walked by him too. He was crippled at that gate for years. We know exactly who it is. And now he's running and leaping and praising God. And we ourselves are absolutely amazed. We're totally stunned. And we're saying, if that's the kind of God that you serve, we're on board. And I love that Peter doesn't even argue with them about how like it's a new God or a new, no, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the same God. It's Jesus. He's the one that we've been praying for. He's the one that we've been waiting for. And he does this and he transforms lives. 
do you want to believe in that Jesus? And 5,000 men, yeah, we're going to believe in that Jesus today. Jesus wants to show up miraculously in every single person's life in this room, but he's looking for people who will say, yeah, I want that God. I want to, I want to courageously contend for more of your miracle power in my life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?